This is the Dairy Download brought to you by Blooming & Associates and the International Dairy Foods Association, where we offer extra sharp market and policy insights on dairy. I'm your host, Phil Plord. And I'm your co-host, Kathleen Wolfley. Today's episode is about European milk production. First, we'll chat with the head of a European Dairy Association, and then we speak with a market intelligence expert at an Irish dairy cooperative. We'll get to that in a bit. As always, thanks to our listeners. If you enjoy this free podcast being delivered to your inboxes and favorite podcast apps every other week, please, please, please thank our episode sponsor, tell a friend about the show, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's sponsor is Nelson Jameson. For decades, Nelson Jameson has been a leader in the food industry, providing manufacturers with the products and services they need to produce safe, quality food. All right, Kathleen, where are we now? Phil, prices as of Wednesday, July 27th, black cheddar cheese closed at $1.94, down $0.04 on the week. Barrels finished at $1.96, $0.09 lower. Butter finished at $2.99, up $0.08 on the week. And the non-fat dry milk market finished at $1.67, a penny higher. Okay, Phil, what is the most important thing right now? Well, August is almost here, and I think that for the next two to four weeks, weather is going to be the most important thing, um, both from a dairy perspective, you know, do we have any big time heat stress on cows anywhere? So far this summer, it hasn't been that bad outside of Texas, maybe New Mexico. Uh, and then even more important, I think, is crop development. We're in the critical pollination stage for corn, the pod setting stages for soybeans. And so um, it'd be really good for these crops if it doesn't get blistering hot over the next couple of weeks and if we get a shot or two of rain. So I'm going to say weather. What about you? I know that Western New York is not the the top cr- corn growing region in the U.S., but we had a nice shot of rain here over the course of the last week or so, and I mowed my lawn for the first time in like a month. So crop development in this area at least looks pretty good. For me, the most important thing is exports. The export picture doesn't look quite as hot as it did just a couple months ago, um, especially as we look at potential export bookings into the latter part of this year. U.S. prices have come down some, but as we look at GDT cheddar values, EU cheese values, um, the gaps are not quite as opportunistic for exporters as they were. Plus, you factor in the U.S. dollar. That isn't always the the, the biggest indicator of how exports are going to go, but it's certainly a little bit more of a headwind. What's your stat of the week, Phil? For my stat of the week, I'm going to go to the cheese market and the cold storage report. Uh, we found out last week that Cheese stocks in June were up 5% on a year-over-year basis. That was up from plus 4% in May. It's just another affirmation that despite sluggish milk production, uh, we have more than enough cheese on hand. And so plus 5% cheese stocks, my stat of the week. All right. Mine is 0.75 percentage points. That's how much the Fed raised interest rates yesterday. It didn't seem to come as too much of a surprise to the market. It more or less shrugged it off. But I suspect that we're going to see yet another uptick in interest rates um, by the Fed here in the next couple months. Yeah, I think the surprise was that it wasn't 1% or the fear, you know, there were some fears that it was going to be 1%. So that's why the stock market said, yay, we're going to go up today. All right. What's your fearless prediction, Phil? My fearless prediction, we saw last week also the milk production report. It showed uh, U.S. output up by a slender 0.2% year over year, the first increase in some time. 
Uh, I'm going to predict that we will see positive milk production now for the next six months in a row. So the negatives are behind us for now, at least six months of positives. What about you? I know for sure that the year-over-year comparisons look a little easier as we get into the second half of the year. Well, now you're dampening the value of my fearlessness. (laughs) Well, Phil, my fearless prediction is about the cheese market. I'm going to say that spot block cheddar will hit $1.75 sometime in the third quarter. All right, Phil, let's get to our first guest. We're delighted to welcome Yuka Likitalo to the show. Yuka is Secretary General with Ukule, a position he's held for nearly eight years. Based in Brussels, Ukule offers policy analysis, market intelligence, and advice to members of Europe's dairy industry. Yuka, welcome to the Dairy Download. Thank you very much, Phil. And thank you, Kathleen, as well. So can you tell us about Ukule and its objectives? Who are your members and how do you serve them? Sure, I certainly can. I mean, you already covered some of that, but um, in a nutshell, we are an association representing the dairy trading community in Europe. Um, UCLA has quite a long history as uh, we have been around since 1959 and already contributed to the uh, development of the very first common agricultural policy back in the 1960s. So we have a small but efficient team here in Brussels advising our members and building a bridge between them and the uh, European institutions. And our role is basically to um, explain how agricultural and trade policy developments in Europe and elsewhere may affect or influence the commercial operations of our members and to be in regular contact with the European Commission and and other key actors. We we do provide some statistical and market information as well. And uh, Ukulele is also a platform for um, uh, where the dairy community sort of comes together and uh, to exchange views and ideas. And we do that through a couple of events every year. In terms of our objectives, we are kind of pushing for a policy environment which is conducive to, to trade, um, and this means that we want an agricultural and food policy that is market-oriented and based on, on sound science. And of course, we want to avoid any unnecessary barriers to trade, be it within Europe or globally. Now, our, our membership is quite complex, so I won't go too much into that, but it used to be purely an organization of traders. And over time, it has evolved. And today, it's kind of a mix of, of traders, processors, and, and some other players in the in the dairy supply chain, uh, typically either associations uh, established in an EU member states or companies that are members directly, roughly 400 uh, in, in total. One last point, maybe, that there is a huge variety in, in terms of the size and, and type of, of those businesses. Um, everything from small trading operations, one-man bands, to, to large multinationals. I can tell you that, uh, I mean, in terms of a gathering place, we've hung out at some, uh, some nice castles over the years, and uh, the Ukulele the General Assembly is really a, a fun meeting to go to. Kathleen and I have had the privilege to be there on occasion. In terms of things going on in Europe, European milk production continues to decline. What are the biggest factors dragging down output? Yeah, indeed, there's a, definitely a lot going on. Looking at our milk output, I would say that the decreases are, are partly due to the shortage of, of raw materials and inputs, the soaring cost of feed, 
energy and fertilizer, as, as you will be well aware. Input costs were already an issue last year, but Russia's war in, in Ukraine has, has made the situation much worse. And, and the supply chain and, and labor challenges and extreme weather events haven't really helped either. But then I, I would say other factors fueling the decline are much more structural. So we are seeing farmers leaving the industry. And in many cases, the next generation is not really willing to take, take over, wanting to do something else with their lives. We also see a lot of farms switching to crop production, uh, which tends to be a bit more lucrative because being a dairy farmer is a, is a tough 24-7 job, doesn't even pay that well. And the rather of negative perception of, of dairy farming is another growing problem as, as the climate discussion has become quite overheated or even toxic in, in some, some European countries. And in my view, a, a very big game changer, Phil, you alluded to, has been the new uh, policy direction in, in Europe under the so-called Green Deal, which is the flagship sort of strategy of the new commission that took office just before the pandemic. And a key part of that strategy is to cut greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55% by 2030 and to become a climate neutral continent by 2050. And some studies on the farm to fork strategy, which is the food policy component of, of the Green Deal, um, estimate that we could see declines of EU milk output of around 10% in the next eight years or so. So... Yeah, the farm-to-fork strategy is all about reducing the use of pesticides, of chemical fertilizers, antibiotics, and, and promoting the switch to organic farming. So yeah, a lot going on. So in terms of the environmental adjustments or changes that are coming down the, the pike, are there some regions that are more affected than others? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would say they are more prevalent in, in Western uh, European countries, uh, which are under a strong pressure from the public to um, reduce emissions from, from agriculture. The image problem is is linked to both climate change with cows seen as, as climate killers and animal welfare. And it seems to be particularly strong, for example, in the two main producing countries, um, Germany and France. And in addition to that, you already see legislative action happening in countries or areas with intensive um, agricultural systems and which also have high levels of, of nitrate and phosphate in, in the soil, like Netherlands, Flanders, so the northern part of Belgium or, or Denmark. So I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying a bit, but I would say that Central and Eastern European member states tend to be a bit more focused on, on economic uh, sustainability. Are people in the ag community or in other communities pushing back against some of these regulations? We've seen some protests in the Netherlands. Does that come to your doorstep? I mean, it seems to me we're going to need fewer forks if this farm to forks situation is going to go all the way to the end. Where do you see the pushback on this stuff? Or is it just sort of inevitable that these regulations are going to happen? Yeah, I would say there's definitely uh, some, even a lot of uh, pushback from from the farming community in, in particular. But I think businesses have also realized that this is sort of the direction of, of travel and, and have started to, to adapt. So there are perhaps two parallel tracks in, in, in that regard. From an EU standpoint, how is the slower milk production growth impacting Europe's dairy trade? Are EU exporters losing out on market share and temporarily, permanently? Yeah, I think, I mean, inevitably, the lower milk output is is going to be reducing availability for export. And, and I think 
we can already see that in our trade performance so far this year. My guess would be that European exporters will be losing market share permanently um, as as global demand is growing and EU production will be flat at best, I would say, most most likely dropping a bit. So, uh, yeah, and I, w- I would also think that with less milk, there will be a growing focus on, on cheese and value-added uh, ingredients uh, to the detriment of, of commodity powders. And the question is also, I guess, to, to what extent export markets will um, will be considered as secondary in comparison to domestic demand needs. And price will be a key driver there, of course. Um, but yeah, the slowdown in, in milk output is, is a big concern for sure. From a processor standpoint, we've we've read and, and heard a lot about potential for curtailing or shutoff of Russian gas into the EU. What's your expectation there or, or what's some of the concern as it relates to potential shutoffs? Yeah, I mean it's it's a huge concern for uh, for the industry. Obviously, I, I wouldn't be able to give you any figures in terms of of uh, you know in each country to what extent the uh, dairy processing industry relies on, on on Russian gas, but it is significant in in some parts of of Europe. The question is to what extent the food processing industry will be considered a priority uh, sector when if some parts of the economy need to be shut down even temporarily. Yeah, a quick follow up on that. You know, yesterday Russia apparently said, "Hey, we're going to keep the gas flowing, but be careful." And then the EU responded with, "Hey, we're going to come and put together some sort of plan or try to put together a plan we're going to cut use by 15%." That seemed really like, you know, aspirational. I didn't see any indication of whether food was protected in that 15% or is it just across the board or is it just a big idea that needs to be hashed out? Yeah, I think it's like a ballpark figure and an like overall policy uh, objective. I, I think in the long run, the, the plan is is to uh, completely stop buying gas from, from Russia, regardless of what Russia is, is doing. Uh, but the speed of that remains to be seen how, how, how quickly that happens over the coming months. So let, let's go back to the climate stuff, less milk production in Europe, higher prices, at least for now, and probably over the medium to long term, if that's if we're going to have less milk in the neighborhood. What do consumers in Europe think about all this? Are they paying attention to the food implications of these policies? Is it kind of people don't know what they don't know? What's the average consumer in Europe think? I don't know if the average consumer exists, so it, it probably depends a lot. I, I think most people are quite disconnected from food production realities uh, in general, but a growing number of consumers do certainly care how their food has been produced, where it comes from, and uh, what impact it has on the planet. This said, for quite a large share of the population, price will always be uh, the main driver, right? Uh, And with the current food inflation and the uh, record energy prices, a lot of consumers are opting for cheaper alternatives um, and reducing purchases of of, uh, more sort of luxury items. And and we see that that happening already. seems likely that, for instance, high-value cheeses and organic products will, will take a big hit there. So you got the million dollar question. What is your five year outlook for Europe's dairy industry? Always the uh, the easy one for the end. It seems a good share of the ongoing decline is not just caused by short term 
considerations, but it's perhaps part of a longer term trend. We see that high milk prices no longer necessarily mean more milk. So my feeling is that we will see milk output continue decrease to decrease over the next five years, but probably quite modestly. And there will also be huge regional differences uh, across Europe and even within individual countries. So yeah, that reduced availability is, is a challenge, but I do believe nevertheless that the industry is in, in quite a solid shape. Market outlooks are always a very difficult affair. And at the moment, I think the level of uncertainty is, is really unprecedented. You know, the war, the pandemic, supply chain problems, inflation, maybe stagflation, big, big policy changes, effects of climate change, changing consumer behavior, at least in Western markets. So I wouldn't dare to make any predictions over five years, but at least on a positive note, demand seems to be quite, quite solid globally. So, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I don't know if I was in your shoes, if I'd be willing to go much beyond five days or five weeks, let alone, uh, you know, five years. (laughs) Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. All right, Yuka. Well, we uh, always great to see you and hear from you. Thank you so much for being part of the Dairy Download. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Now let's get the Irish perspective. We're excited to have Paula O'Dwyer with us today. Paula is Senior Business Intelligence Manager for Glambia, Ireland, where she provides insight and analysis on trends within global dairy markets. Based in Kilkenny, Glambia, Ireland processes a milk pool of 3 billion liters produced on family-run farms, and its products are enjoyed in more than 100 countries. Paula, welcome to the Dairy Download. Thanks very much for having me. So let's start off this way. Can you tell us a little bit about Glambia's producer base? Sure. So... Ireland's dairy industry very much built, as you say, on that tradition of family farming and intergenerational family farming. In Ireland, there are around 17,000 dairy farms um, family run, and Ireland's milk pool in 2021 was just under 8.8 billion litres, and Glambia Ireland processed about one third of that milk pool. Our milk production system is very much pasture-based. We have green fields, clean, fresh air, plentiful rainfall, which really make Ireland a great place for, um, for dairy production. From the milk then that we collect from our suppliers, we would produce over 400,000 tonnes of dairy products each year in Glambia, Ireland. We produce high-quality butter, cheese, mainly cheddar, and also powders such as fat-filled milk powders for the affordable nutrition sector, skim milk powder, caseins, as well as milk protein concentrates and high-value whey protein products. So from a milk supply standpoint, what trends are you seeing in Irish milk production? And a little bit more broadly, what about the European market, the broader European market? So that's a really, I suppose, topical question at the moment, Kathleen. Milk production in Europe is very tight. There hasn't been much appetite among farmers in European and also in Ireland to significantly increase milk production. Milk production in Europe in May was down 1.8%. But what was actually quite interesting in the data was that the milk solids content really struggled. So where the fat and protein content is lower in milk, it really does make for less milk for dairy product production. So I think even given that milk prices are increasing and are in excess of 50 cents a litre in many EU countries, the real, I suppose, challenge is that input costs have been increasing very significantly. 
energy costs, feed costs, fertilizer costs have all increased and have been further exacerbated by the war in Ukraine. There's also been some weather challenges in, in Europe as well, in, in parts of mainland, mainland Europe. And I would say one of the big drivers from a European and Irish milk production perspective is the environmental measures that are being introduced um, in many member states. So issues around nitrogen in the Netherlands under discussion, nitrogen also an issue in Belgium. And from an Irish perspective, greenhouse gas emissions being discussed currently in Ireland. So I think all of these factors mean that the prospects for milk production in Europe are are less favourable. The European Commission in their most recent outlook um, you know, their view was that milk production in Europe will be down about 0.6% in, in 2022. And that will be equivalent to about 1 billion litres of milk on a 144 million billion litre milk pool. So quite constrained milk in Europe. And I would say for the outlook remaining quite constrained going forward. Paul, you mentioned something about lower component levels. Do you think that producers uh, are adjusting feed rations to try to lower costs and that's causing some of the changes in component values? Yeah, I think that that's likely to be the case, Kathleen, where farmers in a very, I suppose, high cost environment now with not only feed being high, but also other energy costs, fertilizer costs. I think it's likely that they are adjusting their rations um, to, you know, to, to, to offset some of those increases that they're experiencing. I know labor has been another major cost increase here in the US. Are producers in Europe also facing labor challenges? Yeah, I think in, in certainly it's something we're hearing in other European countries. Uh, maybe from an Irish perspective, the, the model is probably more family farm orientated. Um, so potentially less of an issue compared to some of our other European counterparts. And certainly in the US where I, I'm hearing consistently from, from, from various commentators that it, it's a significant challenge there. Paul, let's talk about the demand side of the equation. If we think that milk supplies in Europe are going to be constrained in the years going ahead, that probably means it's supportive to prices. What are the expectations for consumer demand in a higher price environment? Is the impact going to be on demand in Europe or is Europe going to export less? How does it all play out in your opinion? Yeah, I think the demand side is a really interesting piece in all of this. I think demand internally in the EU has been strong. I think going forward, there are some concerns, obviously, in this higher inflationary environment that we're in, rising interest rates. And I think from an export perspective, affordability in developing countries is certainly a watch out. I think, you know, it's interesting too, just from a domestic dairy consumption perspective, the European Commission, their view is that dairy consumption in, in the EU internally will increase by 0.3% this year. And that's being supported by the ongoing recovery in food service. Other products seeing higher rates of inflation 
compared to dairy products. And then after a period of, of COVID-related lockdowns in Europe in, in 2020 and 2021, for some consumers, there's accumulated personal savings there, which, which can help offset some of the, the price increases at consumer level. I think currently markets are quiet. We're in this kind of summer lull at the moment um, with many end users on holidays. So it is that kind of quiet period from a demand perspective. Our sense, though, is that we, we should see a pickup from the demand side later on in August, September, when some of those end users are back looking to, to cover their requirements for the second half of the year. There are a couple of demand events then. So Ramadan, Easter and Chinese New Year all take place earlier in, in 2023. So again, that's likely to stimulate some demand um, in, in quarter four of this year. So while, you know, I suppose there are some demand challenges um, certainly on the horizon, we are in a, as you say, Phil, a structurally kind of, you know, constrained milk environment. So I think on, on that basis, it's likely to provide support to prices going forward. And yeah, from a longer term perspective, is there any concern about consumers, you know, resisting higher prices or pushing back against higher prices or everybody kind of, okay, you know, this is the cost of, of a green policy? So I think um, going forward and, and kind of taking maybe a longer term perspective on, on dairy demand and consumption, like China is obviously a really important driver in all of this. Their demand has been weaker um, over recent months, certainly kind of more sluggish too internally in China. I think though what's interesting is that Longer term view in terms of dairy, um, certainly consumption will be supported by population growth, income growth in developing countries as well. So I think those factors will serve to boost demand going forward, as well as maintaining high levels of dairy consumption in those kind of more established regions such as the US and, and Europe. I think what's interesting as well is that that growing import requirement on the basis of growing populations and income growth combined with a more sluggish milk supply environment and, and I suppose likely less exportable volumes into the future. There was an analysis by Rabobank which pointed to a gap of about 20 million tonnes of dairy products by 2030. So from that perspective, I think there is a really important and significant opportunity for dairy into the future for dairy, but also for, for dairy alternatives. Hopefully this is a uh, a hard hitting question, but if you were to survey all of the Irish dairy products, what is your favorite Irish dairy good? Um, I think from my perspective, Kathleen, it would have to be just that high quality butter that's produced in Ireland. I think during the COVID lockdowns, there was certainly a move back towards more home baking. And I think just the quality of the product that Irish butter is was something that just really resonated both personally um, and I think for my own family as well. So Paula, Brexit, obviously a hot topic over the past few years. Things are still unfolding. What's your perspective on where things are at with Brexit and what's going on and, and what might be next? 
Yeah, so Brexit certainly has has remained on the agenda over the last number of years, Phil. Um, I suppose the most recent development has been the move by the UK to publish a bill to override parts of the Northern Ireland Protocol. It is concerning, um, as it does represent a threat to EU-UK, the, the trade agreement that's currently in place, which could potentially be disruptive to dairy trade. So I suppose we'll, we'll continue to monitor developments there and, and see, see how, how they unfold in, in, in the coming months. Paul, I've been reading a lot about the potential slowdown or shutoff of Russian natural gas into the EU. Can you talk a little bit about how that could potentially affect the the EU dairy markets? Certainly, Kathleen, it is, uh, I suppose, a cause of of some uncertainty now as we head into the the winter months. It is an issue, I suppose, being discussed particularly by some of those member states that are particularly dependent on on Russian gas supplies. Um, I suppose the concern is, I suppose, more so maybe over peak processing in, in um, during 2023, that sufficient gas supplies will be there to enable milk to be processed, milk powder to be dried in an environment where maybe gas supplies are more constrained. Well, Paul, we really appreciate your time and insights today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Dairy Download. Thanks very much for having me. That's a wrap for today's show. As always, we want to thank our production team, Matt Herrick, Michael Gooden, and Andrew Jerome at IDFA, and Corey Romero over here at Blooming & Associates. If you are interested in what Kathleen and I do for our day jobs, check us out at ever.ag. Remember, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Nelson Jameson. For decades, Nelson Jameson has been a leader in the food industry, providing manufacturers with the products and services they need to produce safe, quality food. Thanks for listening to The Dairy Download. Until next time, stay sharp. Stay sharp.